Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are talking about a found footage film festival, say that five times fast, (laughs) Kaiju, Tom Cruise, and of course, (laughs) Hammer Horror. And boy, I am curious to hear your thoughts about our Hammer Horror, but before we do get to that one, I want to know about your found footage festival because it seemed like it was a success. Okay, it was awesome. So this year was the third year for the Unnamed Footage Festival, which takes place typically every year in San Francisco. It's run by these amazing people, Rusty, Oksana, Madeline, Clark. They are a group of amazing people who are as obsessed with found footage as I am. And so this year it was a live Is that possible? Um, Yeah, apparently. (laughs) I found them. I found my people. You found your people? I found my people. There are a few of us, but we are strong. So this year, instead of doing an in-person festival, they did a 24-hour live stream. And I got to be a part of the live stream. I got to do some Q&As for them with Rob Grant, who has been, who was like our first guest on the show. So that our was cool. Our first guest. I know. And then I got to talk to two other directors. I got to talk to Jillian Wallace Horvat, who did I Blame Society, um, which came out this year. And then um, Chris Power, who did a... Uh, found footage movie called Long Pigs. So that was really cool. What was even cooler was that I got to see some fucking cool ass found footage movies because they do found footage movies, not like not just recent releases, but movies that just don't play anywhere else. Like they've played Murder, Death, Koreatown a couple times. It's films that you wouldn't really have access to. And they 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 were streaming them. So it there was some weird shit. There was some awesome shit. And there were some films that I really really um fell in love with so 
let me pull up the news. So there's two that I really wanted to talk about. So the first one I wanted to talk about is called 1974, the 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 possession of all of Altier. I saw you either talk about that on Twitter or on I saw your letter. You might have written something on Letterbox, but I was I was expecting that one to be one that you were going to yeah. talk about. Well, the Letterbox review is just this absolutely rules, and then I tweeted about it on where after i saw it but the synopsis of this film is a newlywed couple disappears in 1974 and then their eight millimeter tapes reveal one of the most horrifying events in mexican history it is a mexican found footage film from 2016 it is not streaming anywhere so that was why it was even cooler to watch it at the festival because it's not anywhere i went to go look for it after you were tweeting about it i was like fuck i want to watch this again and i i really loved it i don't want to spoil it but it has some of the freakiest shots of found footage that i've seen really and yes like there's a particularly a a scene where this is and this isn't actually a spoiler this guy is sitting on steps a door has shut in his face he's rec- and like his camera is down and it's recording his face like panicking and behind him you see, it's almost like hereditary so like a, a faint figure kind of walk out of the shadow but not all the Ooh. way out and then fade back into the shadow so he never acknowledges it but you just see it in the background like one of my favorite found footage things when like something small like that happens but it's so eerie so i really really enjoyed that movie and i don't think i would have had the opportunity to see it as easily as I was able to with the festival. And that was a uh, shot in eight millimeter, wasn't it? Yes. It was shot completely in eight millimeter. So it <sighs> looked, I mean, like it's, I can't even imagine how difficult that was to shoot that in eight mil, like sh- shoot so much in eight millimeter. I know that eight millimeter is absolutely def- is, like really hard to cut and to edit and to work with, especially right. in like 2016 when you could just skip it, but it really does give it that like, it has that vintage feel like everyone looks like they're just in the seven, like from the seventies. And it also has one of the most effective uses of the flashlight in the, in the, in the forest. <gasps> Ooh. That like, I really love that from Blair Witch. And I think a lot of movies do that, but this one does it really, really well. Um, It has that same vibe as Blair Witch with like that use of the flashlight in the woods. And I really, I, I've just, I absolutely loved it. It was so good. Yeah. After you tweeted about it, I did go look it up on IMDb and that's when I was like, Ooh, eight millimeter. I love that kind of attention to detail. I, and yes. I, you don't really see a whole lot of, a lot of found footage shot from an earlier time period. Yes. I guess what I was thinking about in particular was a lot of films today have that very crispness to them because they're all yeah. done in 4k HDR, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, makes it feel safe whereas like watching an eight millimeter even though you know that it's it's a you know it's a movie it still kind of gives it that dangerous feel to it i agree and again it does feel like i found this in a box in my parents basement yeah. like i found this somewhere it really is found footage like that having that kind of old school physical feel like the graininess of the footage you can like feel it 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 def it feels like oh no one would make a movie like this on like would purposely make a movie on something like this. Mm-hmm. So it does give it that that spookier vibe. So and then the main actress who plays Altair, she has some of the most like some of the best physicality acting. Like, you know, you think about the way bodies are contort contort in other possession films like The Last Exorcism, and she's on that level, if not oh, better. Wow. If not better, I think. She's able to do some really creepy shit with her eyes. I wanna see this. I know. I know. And that's coming from me. I know. (laughs) 
it is coming. It's very interesting, but coming from you. But I, I really enjoyed it. And then the other one that I saw that is like very good, but on the other end of the spectrum is called Descent into Darkness, My European Nightmare. Oh. Um, and my review on Letterboxd was, uh. <laughs> so <laughs> it's directed by this guy, Raphael Tchaikovsky. And the whole film, the conceit is that a journalist from, I don't even consider him a journalist, a filmmaker, an amateur filmmaker from Eastern Europe arrives in Paris to start a tour of European capitals. His intention is to make a documentary about the European dream, but between the fascination and difficulty of adaptation, Sergoy struggles to complete his project and his expedition drives him into a devastating state of madness. Mm. And when I say devastating state of madness, like this movie goes to places that I would never have expected. Like it kept being called in this, the live chat. It's like bor- like dark Borat. Like oh. Borat does horror. Oh. Because this guy, a lot of the things, like when he he goes to a lot of parties and gets wasted and it says stupid shit, he did that for real. Like he acted like it was like very oh, like, wow. quasi like Borat. And he kind of looks like Borat. Like he has like the curly hair and a thick Eastern European accent and a mustache. It's much, much darker than Borat, but it's <laughs> it's um really hard to watch, mm. but it's really good. And apparently this guy had to check himself into an inpatient program for a bit oh, after ma- making it. Cause he's a so he's a performance artist by by trade. So he's used to doing weird shit. Like, you know, that's his thing is to make kind of like pretty intense art like that but i think this was even it had it was too dark for even for him like if you watch it you're like yeah 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 did you like it then i did i really liked it i really really liked it i think it's one of those examples of how you can do found footage in like a really creepy horrifying way that doesn't necessarily feel like snuff okay i think that's a hard line and i mean it's not it's a film i probably don't want to watch again but i really enjoyed it so and that looks like it is available. Yeah, that one is. It's a different cut, I think, oh. than the one. I don't know how different, because this is the first one I've ever seen, but I think this is this is a film that has, like, several different cuts. And the one that okay. we watched, I don't think has been anywhere. But I don't think they're that... Di- I don't think they're really that different. I think they... I, I don't see how they could be that different. <laughs> so... <laughs> And there were a bunch of other great films and shorts, but those were the two that I really like stuck out to me as really amazing parts of the festival and really show like the app, the really awesome um, range of films yeah. that these programmers get and look for. Like they look all, all over the world. They all types of directors, new, old, whatever. And um, second screen, faux documentary, found footage proper. Like it's it's really, really impressive. And so I'm I'm so happy to be involved. I'm hoping to be involved next year. And yeah. yeah. So that's that unnamed footage festival. Follow them on, on all of the on all of the things. And on I'm on their YouTube channel if you want to watch me talk to Rob Grant and Mike Kovac about fake blood. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> people do. Anyway. I love Rob. Oh my god, he's such a goofball. I love him. That's and like so talking cool. about that movie that's like kind of serious. He's just like, yeah. Got kind of crazy. <laughs> I was like, you think? <laughs> anyway, so that is what that is what I spent most of my Friday and Saturday doing last week. Terry, you have some cool things to chat about, including giant monsters. So uh, what have you been enjoying? Okay, so I realized that I had not seen uh, the Michael Doherty Godzilla King of the Monsters movie. And with Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, come, well, it's out now, I was like, I should probably watch that before this one since, you know, they're building like a, con- a continuation. Didn't really care for it 
as much as I was hoping to. Mothra is adorable. I love her. A girlfriend. <laughs> I do think the Doherty seemed to be like consumed by the corporate franchiseness of the whole thing. I didn't really see any of the kind of character that he brought to Krampus and Trick or Treat. It felt mm-hmm. a little too. I mean, and this this is like a long conversation that I don't uh, that I that I feel like we could spiral into. So I'm just going to just say I <laughs> it didn't work for me. I although I loved the finale, but it was the finale that made me actually want to revisit War of the Worlds from 2005, the Tom Cruise movie, <laughs> because there's a there was a shot of in Godzilla King of the Monsters where Madison, played by Millie Bobby Brown, is like running while there's destruction happening behind her and she hides oh. in her house. And I it it like triggered a memory of like seeing War of the Worlds and re- reminding myself just like how I don't think I have seen a disaster movie as powerful as War of the Worlds mm. is. And so I was like, I really want to watch that. So I ended up watching that movie um, back to back with Godzilla King of the Monsters. And let me tell you. What an interesting double feature. Yeah. War of the Worlds. I don't think it might be my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. No way. Really? Just because like watching it this time, I, I hadn't seen it since the movie theaters back when it was released in 2005. And I remember liking it back then, but not being too enamored with it. But let me tell you, on a rewatch, I was, I got emotional. I started crying. It's scary as, sh- it's scary as shit. Yes, it's scary as shit. And it's unrelenting. Fucking it is, scary. It's unrelenting. It's unrelenting. The pacing of it. We're like, I, and I was just like so enamored with how fast it was moving. Because it's like, you know, Tom Cruise is he runs over to this pit. The creature's out of the pit. Now he's covered with ash of dead people. Now mm. he's like racing in his car. Now his daughter is seeing a river full of dead bodies just pouring down it. Now their cars are getting broken into by the worst of humanity that are trying to steal the car. Now people are getting shot. Now they're, they're on like a the boat and it's getting ca- like this movie just keeps moving and moving and moving and throwing more and more nihilism. I think this is a very nihilistic movie. It and is. I, I even think the ending is not very hopeful because it's not mankind that saves the day. It's the fact that Earth is like, hey, I have disease. You're not ready for it. You're dead. So even at the very end, we are denied some kind of catharsis, which is the reason why I don't think I liked it in the theaters when I first saw it. Uh Uh-huh. Because I was hoping for a kind of rah-rah. But I don't – I think this movie – I think it is tackling 9-11 fears in a way that watching it now – like removed from that situation brought me back to that kind of feeling of of fear and unknown that the world was coming to an end potentially oh. and so like i was watching this and i was watching some of the reactions particularly the fact that it puts us in dakota fanning's characters like perspective through most of the movie oh yeah this movie brought me back to that 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 feeling of like there's no one that's going to be able to save us And it like it made me fucking emotional and I was not prepared for that. This movie, man, like I I think we could do a whole episode on this movie. This movie is fucking phenomenal. Well, and like, okay, speaking of Scarred for Life. So this movie came out when I was 12. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was 12 and I saw all the the commercials for it. And like it was one of those like the ads were like really scary because the sound that they make, like the big trumpeting sound. mm. (laughs) 
that sound from the trailer freaked mm. me out. And like I it was one of these movies that I really wanted to see, but I was too scared to watch it. So I became obsessed with it. And so I very distinctly remember that my parents went on a date night to go see it. And I was at my grandparents. And when they came home to get us, I said, oh, my God, how was it? Tell me everything. And my stepdad, like my mom got so mad at him. He's like, oh, yeah, there's a point where like they grind up people and they use them to like oh. make roots and plant them. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was so upset. I he was like, oh, yeah, that. like there's roots full of people and like they're just like spraying them on the ground. And I was like, what the fuck? And so, like, my small head couldn't embrace it. And then when I finally saw it, it still scared the shit out of me. Like, I will stand by that movie being very terrifying. It's and scary. very gross. Like, it's gory. It's incredibly gory. And yeah. that that moment, I had completely forgotten about the fact that these things are, like, terraforming the planet with the blood of humans. Like, mm-hmm. that moment, I was like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Like, when he walks up the hill and sees it, like, everything is covered in the <sighs> red. And he picks up the, I think he picks up one of the roots and there's a finger in it i think is what it is or something like he picks it up and he's like oh that's a fucking person like <sighs> oh I, anyway the fact this movie was pg-13 like it right? is the most it's the most mean movie i think spielberg has ever has ever created it is a mean nasty little number that i god i it has skyrocketed my appreciation for I'm going to rewatch it now that you brought that up because I do remember really enjoying it. And the CG like holds up like you can kind of oh, good. you can kind of see some of the the seams where it's like obviously a screen that they're acting in front of. But like, I don't know, it has it has some depth in it that I don't that I think a lot of big picture movies today could probably take a cue from. I think um. I also <laughs> learned what peach schnapps were in that movie. Oh, God. That whole that's all scene. the guy had. Well, that's a whole Jesus. other situation. But I remember being like, what's peach schnapps? I, why are these these just so weird? Like these very weird small memories are coming back from this movie. But yeah, I was like, the fuck are peach schnapps? Yeah. Uh I think we should dig into that movie because there's a lot to talk about. Should. Um, Patreon? 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 Anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, we definitely should. I would absolutely love to dig into that movie. <laughs> But the reason, like, that was not the reason I watched Godzilla, because I watched Godzilla to prepare myself for Godzilla versus Kong, which I also watched today, but right before we started recording. And I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to say too much because I know you haven't seen it yet. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't watched it yet. But I'll say that Kong feels like the main character, loved his journey. Fine. um, Loved that people were complaining about the human story, but it worked for me here because they were periphery to the main story their purpose was to discover things that were related to that central conflict of kong and godzilla so it worked for me love that it continues to explore hollow earth theory oh my god and i loved the neon final battle (gasps) it's just like it was so good I'm so, so excited. Good. Unlike Doherty, it had a lot of character in this. I, it's Wingard. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I, I know. love that these indie boys are getting movies. Sorry. that I, I liked King of the Monsters, but like I, I also, my, my partner, Steve, that I, everyone probably knows who he is at this point, the, but Steve didn't really enjoy King of the Monsters. We rewatched it recently because we were doing like a, like a rewatch of all the more recent like Universal Monsters movies um, mm-hmm. or Monsterverse movies. And he liked it better on second watch. Um, but I think our favorite is Kong Skull Island. If we're going to talk about like ranking and stuff, Kong Skull Island was our favorite of the, of these four. So 
Did you see liked, Kong Skull Island? Yes, I like okay. Skull Island. I I have like a, I need to revisit it because I haven't seen it since the theater. But I have a soft spot for Godzilla just because it really leaned into the awe inspiringness of him. Yeah, like he has never felt larger than life than in that movie for me. Yes, okay. he's like huge in this movie. Yes, he's knocking over buildings, yada yada yada. But in terms of like spectacle, the shots of like him finally being revealed and you realizing how yeah. massive he is, just like that awe inspiringness of it. I just I don't think. I think it's something that has never been tapped into in any of the, at least American. I was going to say, have you seen Shin Godzilla? Because it does in that one, but that is Jap- the Jap- one of the Japanese versions of it. I have not, but that, and that's the thing <sighs> I put out on Twitter. And so I'm curious if any listeners or if you have any inputs, I've, I am not familiar with the mm-hmm. Japanese side of Godzilla because my, my Godzilla knowledge, I think I might have seen the first one when I was a kid, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. I know I've seen one of them at one point, but I remember nothing about it. So mm-hmm. my my entry point has always been either the <laughs> the Matthew Broderick one Great. or the 2014 Godzilla and then this this new inca- American incarnation of it. So I want to know where I should start, if I should start from the very beginning or if I should just pick and choose. So there isn't really any continuity okay. that I think is necessary. So it's like it's split up into eras. As mm-hmm. you, so there's like the Showa era, which is in the 60s. There's the high sea area area era. And then is it? Yeah. The Showa, the Showa era, the high sea area, and then the millennium area, the millennium era. So there, there's like three kind of distinct styles broken up across the decades. And the Showa area is, god damn it, the Showa era is where you like introduced all the characters. So that's a good place to kind of get a sense of like Mothra and Ghidorah mm-hmm. and Godzilla and Kong. Those are all classics. Like those are all worth watching. And they're all on HBO Max or Criterion. Almost all of the Showa era Godzillas are on Criterion. So I would watch those. I would also highly recommend Godzilla versus Hedora when or Hedera, which he fights a giant uh, pollution monster. Oh, and then it it has a bunch of forms where it transforms into the giant flying monster plane, <laughs> which is very good. Um, but Shin Godzilla is my big recommendation. Yeah, because- I really, I really want to watch that one. And that's you tweeting about it and me seeing all of the like gifs and pictures and stuff of of the creature from that and seeing just like. I know that that one is is like really highly revered, and I, I, I just I wasn't sure if that's where I should start, not knowing anything about Godzilla outside of the American monsterverse. Yeah, so I would. So what I would do, because I I just pl- shameless plug. I just wrote an article about Shin Godzilla and like why it is such an important film in terms of why it kind of harkens back to the original annihilism of the original so i would i would i would watch the original one and then maybe shin godzilla to kind of get a sense of how they book they kind of bookend the scariness of godzilla and then the rest of them are all pretty they're a little bit more silly and they're a little bit more fun mm-hmm. um because wasn't like, shin Shin Godzilla wasn't that directed by the Neon Genesis hideki ano yeah. neon genesis evangelion <laughs> I never Which know how I to love. pronounce that last word, so yeah. I just call it Neon Genesis. <laughs> yeah, Neon Genesis Evangelion, NGE, Evangelion, whatever. You have? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, get ready for that kind of tone of just despair. There are not There are not sad teenagers in it, though. Just sad bureaucrats. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I, I, that is, I love, Shin Godzilla is probably my favorite. Okay. 
I, that's the one that I really want to see. I just I never know if like I mean, you know, a lot of times the reason why a, a new movie works really well is because it has that 60 years of history behind it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, do I do I jump in with that one or do I work my way up to it? And that was you know, basically yeah. my big. They're all so different. And like, yeah, everyone like Godzilla stands scare the shit out of me. Um, but cause like I've they've come for me before. Cause Ugh. anyway. Fandom. Everyone has a lot of very strong opinions. But in my opinion, in my opinion, there is no right way or there is no wrong way to enjoy Godzilla. Yeah. That's my two cents. Cool. Now yeah. like transitioning like way the far <laughs> fuck away from Godzilla. What hammer horror are we talking about today, Mary Beth? <laughs> We're unwrapping the 1959 Mummy. I stole your joke from last week. Hey, if it works, use it. But yeah, this is the Mummy. Yes. What did you think? I do. I hate that I I enjoyed it because it's so bad. Like in terms of like colonialism and like brown face. But this is an interesting movie that does kind of speak to issues of colonialism and like the mm-hmm. British coming to Egypt and saying like this is ours. But boy, oh boy, the the prevalent brown face that it well, that was in early horror cinema is just on display in this film. Yeah, <laughs> guys, Christopher Lee is in brown face. He plays the mummy. So like sometimes he's the mummy, and then sometimes he is an Egyptian pharaoh who is painted brown. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on in this movie. And yeah, an evil Egyptian. Well, yeah, and the evil Egyptian's played by someone from Greece. He's Greek. Close enough, right? God. <laughs> and I, I was looking into the the career of George Pastel, who played the mm-hmm. Egyptian guy that wants to take revenge, and he carved out a career as villains in film and tele in, in television because of his like exotic looks so like me come on they used him to play a lot of um egyptian characters of course they did (laughs) you're not told you're a little bit darker than white all right (laughs) we can enhance it a little bit yeah oh my god well so that's frustrating i wanted to get that out of the way just to talk about it because that is a big problem in this movie oh no i i was like when 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 i realized that christopher lee was playing the mummy slash chorus and then i was like wait if they're doing a slash chorus and that means they probably are doing flashbacks and that means he's oh god (laughs) oh no oh no oh no and it's an it's an unfortunate thing that continues till today it's just nowadays they don't paint people brown but they still have white people replacing it like gods of egypt i mean how many of these big spectacle movies russell crowe is the lead each guy from egypt like at what point were egyptians white because that seems to be all that that uh that hollywood wants to cast and it's started here you know know. it's that and that's a big part like difficult part of going back in horror history and realizing that you know excuse me that not only are people of color the other but they don't cast people of color in those roles it's no. a white person that is putting on a costume and so it's such a weird thing because like you'll see sometimes i think in this movie there were people of color as like the background yeah. actors mm-hmm. so it's like they have people of color and it's just, it's so frustrating that it took so long and continues it's still going on mm-hmm. where it's like mm, people of color like we're just not going to think about them for these roles because they were at- 
And like that happens, like think of Ghost in the Shell, where they yeah. just cast Scarlett Johansson when it is a very Japanese movie and they didn't cast an Asian woman. Like that's only one of like the millions of examples. But yeah, it is just like y'all, Christopher Lee just looks like a white dude in brown face paint. Like, what are we doing? And like yeah, his shitty was... eyeliner. Ugh. Girl. But besides that. That aside, <laughs> there was a lot in this that I did love. I, I, same. I did. I did really enjoy it. And we're talking about, you know, going back through horror history and seeing some, seeing kind of like the birth. What I realized watching this movie was how much the unstoppable killer that we would see in 80s movies like Friday the 13th. Uh, you see him in the mummy, the way the mummy moves, right? his lumbering gait, him breaking through the front doors and going to choke uh, his victims. Like it's, it reminded me so much of watching uh, the slasher movies from the eighties with like yeah. Jason and stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of connection here. It really is. I didn't think about the slasher. I just thought about the physicality of the mummy and how mm-hmm. it was so scary because he really, I mean, like the mummy is just covered in like dirty wrappings because he's been dead and he like you know it doesn't necessarily look that terrifying but the way that christopher lee moves and the way his eyes are shown mm-hmm. is really haunting and that like you said that gate that kind of like slow but almost fast gate and the strength that he has makes him a really terrifying creature which i love like and that's why slashers are so interesting because like slashers are people most of the time like slasher villains are just people and they're like oh shit scary um you know reducing decades of a genre into one sentence there but <laughs> there is something so terrifying about someone that doesn't seem that intimidating and then you're like oh it's like he's not they gonna are. stop he's not gonna stop like you can't stop him they shoot him they shoot and yeah and i thought that effect was really great the, yes the, i'm assuming they use squibs and it just explodes out out of his his body but like he doesn't stop he just keeps coming and it's like there's no way of stopping him and i i really i thought that the the scene where um Peter Cushing, he played John Banning, where John Banning's father is in the padded room and he's breaking through the gate. Yes. Like that scene is actually pretty intense. I I think till t- even he, today. He kicks in the window. I was like, absolutely the fuck not. Like when he's like, is it the window? Like through the, yeah, it's, it's like the window? a window, yeah, and then there's he, like a, a grate, and he's like tearing through that just, grate. Like, I know. I was like, fuck that shit. Like that is that is not allowed. Like I was that was really freaky. His like foot was dangling down, and like because I don't know, you're not used to seeing monsters like that. Like actually having that strength to pull things out and like squeezing through windows. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. something even scarier about a creature that has that level of intelligence that can like burst through things and like squeeze through spaces if you know yeah so you mentioned earlier kind of the the idea of colonialism i did think that was an interesting angle to this there's a conversation where um uh john banning is talking to mehemet bay i think is is his name mm-hmm. and you know he's he's basically equating archaeology to colonialism because you're raiding these tombs you're taking the stuff and you're taking it away from the people who have that history and you're putting them in museums in britain and there's like a whole history of britain also being colonialism and so you take a look at that idea of it and there's some interesting things that it's bringing up it's unfortunate that 
you know, Peter Cushing's character is presented as the the hero of it because I honestly, <laughs> I was on the side of Mehmet. Well, exactly. And that's the, like this whole thing where it's like, oh, yeah, they, they found this tomb and then all of a sudden, like, they claimed it as their own, but they didn't understand the history of the things that they were taking and, like, the consequences of those actions. But, of course, the Egyptian guy is still the evil character who wears, like, the stereotypical fez and is like, mm-hmm. I will get revenge with, like, my, like... <laughs> with my creature of the of the orient like that kind of like mystic you know stereotypical representation of the other but it is all about how british people come in and they say all right like and there's there's obviously slaves essentially in the background doing all the work for them yep and it is about that but you know we're not going to talk about that because england is like no it's fine but they still have problems like there's so many things they stole from ancient greece they just take these things like it's our own without recognizing cultural significance and understanding like these things are actually a really crucial part of cultural identity for a lot of people around the world. And they're just yeah. like, no, it's fun to look at at a museum. And it's like, no, but actually like these have really crucial significance to these people and that we're just you're just charging people to come look at it behind a glass box. Right. And it's not as if it's it's in a museum somewhere in in Egypt, you know, it's not yeah. that they're people making money off of their cultural heritage. It's some white dude that has basically stolen someone's antique and is now parading it around in their in their British museum. Like yeah. there's interesting things here and the and the movie does bring them up. It doesn't really yeah. interrogate them enough, but as we've discovered with a lot of Hammer films, <laughs> uh it has these ideas and then it doesn't really interrogate them because it's more interested in entertaining than it is critiquing things, I think. But yeah. yeah, other than that, like I, the flashbacks, uh, got one on a little too long. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did go on a little bit too long. A little but too like, much the, exposition. Spe- the spectacle and the costuming was really cool. Like I did yeah. like that they were, they did the flashbacks. They did go on for a little too long. But what I would like though, and I, I took this note as I was watching the, uh, forbidden love between, uh, Karis and what's her name, Ananka. Uh, mm-hmm. is that I would like to see a new mummy movie in which the forbidden love is between like the emperor and his male priest. <gasps> oh my God, please. I want a gay mummy movie. Cause like I, and I, it sent me down a mini rabbit hole as things do is do happen sometimes. And there, there was a, uh, potentially one of the very first, um, instances of, of same sex uh, documented between two Egyptian um, men that were painted with their noses touching in like a very. Oh. And so like, I was thinking this would be kind of, this would be a really kind of cool way to reinvent this story for the 21st century is a long lost queer narrative. I would love to see. Yes. I want that. All of the universal monster movies, but make them queer. Um, but like explicitly queer. Explicit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Explicitly queer. Um, so that about does it for this week's mini sode. But before we wrap up, uh, uh, <laughs> who are we talking Beth. to on Monday? <laughs> oh, Mary Beth, we yeah, are talking with Elsa Kephart. She is the co-writer and director of the Killer Pants movie Slacks, which is on Shutter, and it is great and fun and oh my god, such a good satire. And I hope you guys have seen it. But if not, make sure you watch it this weekend. And we're talking to her about The Exorcist 2, oh, yeah. The Heretic. Oof. Um, Oof. Yeah, Oof. folks, get ready. It's a, it's quite a conversation. It's a fun one. 
obviously. But that that's a movie that is um not the best. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then next Friday, uh, Mary Beth, what are we going to watch for our Hammer uh, We are journey? going to watch Betty Davis and The Nanny from <laughs> 1965. I'm excited. I am too. Uh, this one was recommended a couple times, I think, on Twitter. And it just sounds uh, kind of bonkers in the best way. All of these movies are just bonkers. They're amazing. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Have you seen a film that we watched about this, watched and talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for movies that we should be talking about? Do you have a favorite Godzilla movie that I should watch? <gasps> yes. Sanitary, all of your Godzilla movie wrecks. Um, and don't tell me I'm wrong about how to watch Godzilla. I don't think my heart could handle it. Um, <laughs> send us just don't an... do that in general. That's just rude. <laughs> True. Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Somehow, after me requesting a review last week, we actually ended up losing a review. So we're at 78 now. Fuck? So come on, people. What the fuck? <laughs> I rescind my digital kiss I gave you all last week. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> Who am I thanking again? Um, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Please stream Neon Vampires. Neon Vampires. Oh, yeah. It's out. Yeah. Neon stream Vampires. It. Stream it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.